0: What up, what up, everybody? This is Double G for the Fight Game Podcast. Today... We are posting the We Want Flair episode that we did earlier this year, which is episode three featuring Ric Flair versus Big Van Vader. This is really where we sort of figured out how to do this show the way that we wanted to do it. And really, it's going to be the blueprint for how we do it in 2020, though we'll do it in segments rather than in just one large podcast. But we go through the entire timeline of Ric Flair leaving WWF in 1993 going back to WCW and just how the entire uh, landscape changed what he was doing uh, how he did not come back on top immediately and and the business was changing uh, but thanks to some interesting circumstances he gets a chance to uh, win the title again at the end of 93 against Big Van Vader at Starcade so that uh, that match was uh, what was a pretty big a pretty big one uh, though 93 not a great year in wrestling at all but uh, but hopefully uh, you know everyone had a, a good holiday uh, hopefully uh, you will be able to uh, spend some time with family and all that but uh, kick back listen to this and then we'll be back in 2020 with uh, the re the the new version of, of we want flair uh, so Hope you enjoy and have a great one. We're going to talk about Ric Flair versus Big Van Vader, but also we're going to kind of do like a timeline of Ric Flair going back to WCW in 1993 because so, like, some of this stuff is really unbelievable to me that I I researched, but. you know, it culminates in a very memorable match in Starcade of 1993. So I think it all kind of pieces itself together very well.
1: Yeah, it's uh, 1993 was definitely a very wacky and funky year for WCW. And as the history of WCW has a lot of funky and wacky years, but 1993 is just the tale of two different philosophies and changing bookers and changing storylines and as a a kid i wasn't really confused about i kind of just followed along but like going back and researching you can see why it's it's such a such a confusing product for a lot of people and frustrating for a lot of people
0: and what's also frustrating is that you have a layup in a sense that you know, Ric Flair leaves WCW in the summer of 1991. There's a big hullabaloo around it. He goes to WWF. He works a program with Hogan, which kind of, I mean, is, is good for the time, but it's not the blockbuster that I think people thought it was going to be. Uh, he has the great Royal Rumble performance. Uh, he has a. I guess an okay title reign, which uh, you know, just kind of he and Macho Man, you know, have a have a really good feud, and then he gets the belt back, and then he sets Bret hard up. So I wouldn't say that Flair's WWF run was necessarily a failure, but it, it, it featured some strong stuff, but also you know they they I, f- I feel like they they took him for uh, granted a little bit and maybe you know maybe even got a little tired of him uh, as uh, you know as Vince McMahon was going through his own transition and what he wanted wrestling to be you know in late 92 and early 93 and it sets up flair coming back to you know coming back home it's like you know it's a homecoming for rick flair and it's a layup for wcw and they just constantly uh basically kick themselves in the rear end time after time after time until we get till we get to the end so uh for those who've, who've been following the fight game podcast we do a segment uh starting this year we actually started i think in uh the second week of january where we review Monday Night Raw, starting from episode one, the very first Monday Night Raw. And in one of the very early Raws is a fantastic match, the best match so far in what we've seen between Mr. Perfect and Ric Flair, which is a uh, a, a basically Loser Leaves Town match. And Flair loses that match, setting up his return to WCW. So that's basically where the whole thing kicks off. So let's actually just kick it off with him losing the match to Mr. Perfect. So the deal is, is that Vince and Rick basically have an agreement that Rick can leave... If he's not on top, you know he can ask to. If, if if Vince doesn't have him in the main event, Rick can ask to uh, to be released and to go back to or go wherever he wants, essentially. And so, uh, one thing that's actually really interesting that I learned in looking at uh, some of these observers is, you remember when Jim Cornette comes comes to WWF in nineteen ninety three? Yeah. Uh, so he has his he has his run in ninety three. Originally, they were trying to get Flair in late 91. Actually, no, it would have been early 92 because when Heenan wanted to go off the road, they wanted Cornette to replace Heenan as Flair's manager. And I didn't know that. That, I I just read that and I was like, wow, I don't don't remember that and I didn't realize it.
1: Yeah, that would have been a great combo. Man, Flair and Cornette, that would have been pretty amazing. I mean, Flair doesn't really need Cornette because... But really, I mean, it would be great. But also, like cornets there to enhance another talent, like be the voice for like you know he's always was the voice for the Midnight Express, right? So I think he kind of would have been, they kind of would have, I think he kind of would have been not overshadowed Flair. He probably would have overshadowed Flair a little bit. So I think Perfect was the perfect choice, cool. <laughs> you know, because I think it just he did they kind of balance each other out, you know, really, really well and. Perfect doesn't take too much for Flair And and he, he can Allow Flair to still be that main event guy
0: So When Flair Is ready to return Bill Watts is still in charge And soon Watts is not going to be in charge uh, You know Jim Ross is not going to be there for very much Longer actually when, when Flair actually Joins them both of those guys Are gone and and who is in charge? None, uh, none other than uh, Eric Bischoff. He's kind of in charge of the whole shebang, uh, and so that's where that's where what Flair comes back to, which is a little bit of a different WCW than when he left. So uh, he returns to WCW on February 21st of 1993, and the idea is is that he's going to do a segment called "Flair for the Gold," which is an interview segment. And uh, he's got a huge set. Supposedly, the set costs thirty-five thousand dollars. And basically, it's not because he can't wrestle, but they're trying to set up uh, a return so that the fans basically can't wait for him to do this match. And they're just trying to find that perfect time to pop that, you know, that TV, uh, that TV rating or the buy rate. Uh, and and you know, it doesn't happen for a few months. Now, looking back. Would you have done the same thing, or would you, would you have tried to get Flair in the ring a little bit sooner?
1: I would have gone sooner. I thought there was an issue with him that like he couldn't. There was some kind of was it a contract thing that they were waiting for, or or something that he couldn't wrestle. That's why I always thought. I mean, you know, I'm probably I'm probably wrong on that, but uh, but I know I definitely would have had him wrestle a lot sooner than. Than what he did in june of uh 93 when he at the clash like definitely would have had something with Wyndham, um a little sooner than i think they they sh- you know flair should have came in and tried to reform the horseman with arn and like they with barry and barry doesn't want to go with it because barry wants to a lone wolf now and he wants to go on his own and you know that's probably what i would have done
0: so here, here's a, a Meltzer a quote from The Observer around that time frame. And basically, Dave foreshadows what happens, even if it's not meant to happen at that time. Dave basically said, or no, Dave says that a uh, flair's return. Flair just said that he was back and only hinted of his initial role, which will be to do an interview segment called A Flair for the Gold, which not so coincidentally was the subtitle for Starcade 83 and should be for Starcade 93 if they play their cards correctly so dave is (laughs) foreshadowing flair being in the main event of this show even though at this point they probably don't even you know they they don't have an that idea yet so a couple other things with with rick um he, you know, they they talk about this a lot on the TV, which is that he opens a Golds gym in Charlotte, <laughs> and Jesse Ventura says, so uh, uh, uh so Shivani just says that that Flair's got a gym. He doesn't say what it's called, and Jesse the body goes, "Are you saying his gym is called Flair for the Golds?" I thought that was a good <laughs> line.
1: <laughs> oh, Jesse just.
0: Passing time in WCW. Lazy as all hell, man. Making a lot of money and just passing time. Oh, my God. Shivani just seems to be, like, exhausted working with him, too. Uh, So, around this time, uh, Vader is the champion, but they do this tour of the U.K., and uh, Sting and Vader actually passed the title back and forth. I think the first one is done in Dublin, and, and then Vader gets the belt back in the UK. But I don't remember them mentioning these title changes on TV. Yeah,
1: they did. They did. They mentioned it on so Saturday night, and it was like a quick, like almost in passing. And I remember being so blown away, like, oh, my God, Sting won the belt back and lost it back to Vader. You know, it was, it was a quick thing, too, wasn't They didn't really focus on it. And they should have. They should have had like some video footage, or at the least, some stills of the of the matches to show, like on their on their uh, uh, what's that? The there's their event center type deal, You're right? Their obviously weekly magazine segment. Could, you know, like, was it the control center? The control on. center. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, they should they should have done something like that because it kind of just came and went, and it was right. Was it right after? Right after a few Saturday nights after um, Super Bowl, I believe, or something like that, because it was in March, right? When they went to uh, the England, I believe. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I remember like it was like Austin and Steamboat or someone in the in the ring together the mini event of, uh, of that Saturday night, and that's when they mentioned it. I'm pretty sure Steamboat was in that match when they mentioned that. With that that happened, I just couldn't believe it, and I remember getting the Pro Wrestling Illustrated because I used to get those all the time and having a picture of like on their like news, their news segment, the big opener news segment, and then that was the lead lead story of that of that column was about the title switching back and forth between Sting and Invader.
0: So what the the the, the idea is for Flair and Arn to be the baby face tag team and the first program is to work with the Hollywood blondes and, and the Hollywood blondes are Brian Pillman and Steve Austin put together almost by accident. Mm -hmm. Uh, Austin always tells the story that he was going to go on a singles run and I believe Harley was going to be his manager. And so then uh, as he's about to kind of do that, Dusty, uh, Dusty changes plans and Pillman comes over to Austin and basically goes, you know, we need to like figure out a gimmick and a name. And Austin's like, well, what are you talking about? I'm going, I'm going singles with Harley. And Pillman's like, no, you got to talk to Dusty, man. We're a tag team. <laughs> and so, and so, just to kind of show you, you know, like some of this stuff. I mean, because the blondes were great. Some of the stuff just happens like in such a happenstance way. And um, and so these guys, these guys are the the young heels. And Flair and Arn are the old baby faces. So there's talk of getting the horsemen back together, like you said. And what they want to do, actually, they want to bring Tully back. And it's all kind of set in stone for Tully to come back, but he doesn't come back because he doesn't like the fact that guys like Johnny B. Bad are paid more than what WCW is going to pay him. So he does. He actually doesn't come back, and and so they could have sort. You know, they could have rekindled uh, everything at that time, but they didn't want to pay the money to bring Tully back. Not saying that Tully was a game changer in 1993, but I sort of feel like that would have enhanced uh, Flair's run. Now I don't know how long you could have gone with. Them as baby faces because totally I can't imagine him being any good as a baby face whatsoever. But just having those guys back together, it would have felt a, a little bit of magic, you know, maybe for a month or two.
1: Yeah, I think it would have been magic for a little longer than that. But um, totally as a baby face, yeah, that would have been, been tough for a long time. But you know, they could definitely flip him pretty easily, and it sucks that they didn't work out for him in 1983 because we were left. With what we got, and we got Paul Roma as the <laughs> four horseman replacement, and nothing against Paul Roma. I always liked Paul Roma, especially when he was Romeo Roma on the Power of Glory tag team. I think he finally found himself in
0: that role,
1: but just as a horseman, it just didn't work.
0: I liked him um, as a young stallion. Yeah, like, yeah, young stallion. I also liked him pretty wonderful.
1: He ended up after. You know, the horseman thing didn't work out. They that didn't the illiter-
0: it literally lasts, like, what, five months or something? Like, it doesn't last long at all. Yeah, it happens in
1: May, and they break up. You know, I think they break up in November. And then he starts teaming He starts teaming with uh, uh, Paul Orndorf. I think the Masked Assassin is their manager. They become pretty wonderful. Uh, Mass Assassin gets dropped. But the team becomes a really good tag team in 1994, and uh, they had a lot of good matches, uh, especially in the fall with uh, Stars and Stripes, uh, the Patriot and Marcus Alexander Bagwell. So, um, you know, like it was a problem, like I said, he's, he's, you know, he's really good. He's a good athlete and had a lot of ability just putting that, him in a group. with the horseman just did not work at all. And and it's hard to take a guy who was, you know, just a job guy, at WWF. And all of a sudden you're trying to say, hey, he's going to be in the most elite uh, wrestling stable now it just it just did not work at all.
0: Yeah. So the first Flare for the Gold segment is taped for television for May first, and his first guest is Big Van Vader. And if I could describe a Flare for the Gold, it's like a very loose late night talk show. Rick is dressed to the nines. He has a ton of energy. He actually looks like refreshed uh and arn is his sidekick he has fifi the maid (laughs) and she actually becomes uh, a little bit bigger part of his entourage and also now is uh is his i guess it's not technically not technically his wife because i don't think he's like they got married but it was like it wasn't like a true marriage it was like a Different thing because of certain Reasons I, I, don't, I don't know I mean He technically that's his, his current wife But I'm not sure if they actually got like married Married um, So so you know it, It's kind of a, a cool little thing and And uh, and The talk show element Of it it's not like Rick is telling jokes He's just you know bringing on uh, Heels to uh, To basically interview and set up for Stuff down the line And um, and so the first one's with Vader, and it's a little bit of a nice foreshadowing because he's event, you know, eventually he's going to have a program with Vader. And the second one is with uh, Barry Windham. At least it's supposed to be with Barry Windham, but uh, but Windham basically calls in and says he's not doing the show, and Flair doesn't understand why, Arn doesn't understand why. You know, Barry's their buddy. Arn senses that Barry's kind of not with them, but Rick's like, no way, you know, Barry's my guy, and then then eventually that's going to set up a a match with Rick and Barry down the line, so Flair for the Gold is, uh, I would say it was entertaining, uh, but it was kind of just like uh, a little bit of like quicksand in a sense because all you really wanted to do was see rick wrestle you didn't really want to see him do these segments and it was just like pushing the time back so that you were like waiting and waiting and waiting for rick to get in the ring
1: yeah i remember being frustrated as a kid because i just want to see rick. i'm so happy to see rick back in ww and i just wanted to see him wrestle i did like I did love the tease of the tension between Barry Wyndham and Ric Flair because, you know, I was so invested in WCW as a kid and invested in the uh, Four Horsemen. And I loved – I liked that story of of the lone wolf Barry Wyndham, how he became his own man, he's going to do it on his own, he doesn't need the horsemen. And I liked, the, I liked that storytelling of – storytelling that he – he flares back and he's like like damn this is my time to shine this is my time to be the man and here you are still in, still in my spotlight right and i just like that i just really i really enjoyed that and i i wish they had better storytellers at that time and i think that, that someone really could really flush that storyline out because there's some good stuff I, and there's a, there's also a. Uh, remember i don't know if you remember this but arm shows up and teases the full horse spinner, rick right because rick hasn't wrestled yet and he basically tells him like he brings out his boots or something like that if i remember correctly and says you know a lot of good things are going on in wcw barry windham's the nwa champion Hollywood blonde's are the tag team champions you know and he's like, he's like, my hands are starting to cramp or something like that. And he puts the sign up, with the full horse <laughs> And I just thought that was so cool. And I remember as a kid, just going crazy because, you know, we, I think like a lot of people, quickly fell in love with the tag team of Brian Pillman, Steve Austin, The Hollywood Blonds. Right? They were freaking awesome, awesome very quickly. And I was like, oh man, Flair, Arn. You know, and the blondes together. Like I got that. Were, I thought they were forming that. And then Barry was going to be on his own. And uh, of course, it didn't happen that way. But like, it was just like I remember just getting jazz about the horse and code back. And then they started promoting it for Slamboree.
0: And so they do a pay-per-view called Slamboree. And Rick does a flare for the gold at the Slamboree show. And for for people who, who may not remember the show because it didn't last very long, but the idea was they were going to bring back some legends and they were going to do kind of like a hall of fame, and so you had you know a lot of legends come back and then you know they had their their regular matches. Uh, it was, I I remember thinking that it was a cool idea, but in execution, I thought okay, I don't want to see these old guys uh, that much, so. Kind of like a, an idea before its time, because you know, with WWE Network, you can kind of pay respect to the old stuff. And back then, uh, they were, I don't think they really did it that well. So the pay per view was a little bit of a flop. But in the Flair for the Gold segment, they bring back the Horsemen, and like John alluded to, they bring in Paul Roma as like a surprise fourth guy.
1: Well, and also, they they're they're promoting the reunion of the original Horsemen. Right. That was the, that was part of the buildup. And then, OK, is me totally. And then that's expecting Tully totally be there. And I knew Oli would be there, obviously. And then Tully doesn't show up. And then we get
0: pretty Paul. So Tully was clearly not coming in and they continued to advertise that Tully was going to be the guy, including locally. And so can you imagine like you're expecting Tully to come and then Roma shows up like, yeah, it's it's, it's a letdown. It's definitely a letdown.
1: Yeah, it's just, I just, I just, I, what, what are, like, how, all those people, smart people, right? Even, why didn't Flair say something? Why didn't Arn say something like, hey, great guy, great talent, but it's just going to be a major letdown for the fans. But I guess they felt like, hey, we've advertised, we've advertised, we've advertised, you know, that they're going to be a horseman reunion. We have to execute it, I guess, and have to follow through. But, like, they could have come up with something better to get out of that situation.
0: And so at the Clash in June, it is uh, it is uh, Rick and Arn versus the, the Hollywood Blondes. They bring the Hollywood Blondes prior on uh, on Flair for the Gold. And Rick is like, these are my guys, like Brian Pillman, I've known you. And he's like Steve Austin. Pillman tells me that you're going to be one of the top guys down the line. And then they just heal on him big time. Like they make fun of his age. They keep calling Arn fat. I think Pillman goes, or no, I think it's Austin. Austin goes, Rick. I like, I like all of this. You know, this very an- antique art and furniture, including that statue over there. And like it's Arn sitting over there, and then Arn <laughs> kind of like looks around. He's like, "What? What are you talking about?" And so Rick's trying to be cool. Like Rick's like, guys, you know we'll let bygones be bygones, we're good, let's not worry about it. And then they keep at it, and then, uh, and then Rick finally takes the jacket off, and he's like, all right, let's get, let us go. So, uh, so that kind of sets up the tag team match. But then the Hollywood Blondes, they continue the old stuff, and they do a segment in an interview called A Flare for the Old, and Pillman comes dressed up like an old guy and they so they they're continually making fun of Rick and Arn's age. Now, in hindsight, is that how you want to make Rick and Arn look? As entertaining as it was, why are you killing two guys who are a little bit older and who are from an older generation, but you're also expecting them to help bring your business back?
1: Yeah, I kind of don't mind this that much because it kind of points out that we're the new generation, we're the new guard that's going to run this. But their heels are being at, they're being jerks, right? So I, I really didn't see that as a as a negative too much. And then, well, of course, we expect Arn and Flair to get get some revenge. But of course, things change and things get dropped, and they never really got it.
0: So. Uh, the, the actual match is, is a pretty good match It's 2 out of 3 falls Originally it was going to be One fall non-title But they changed it to 2 out of 3 falls Title match And uh, Flair and Arn win the first fall Flair steals Tito Santana's flying forearm And, and, and pins uh, I think he pins Austin Yeah I mean he's used he's, he's that not, not Not like Not as a
1: finisher Not as a finisher, but he's used to be four. And then, uh, yeah, I know that was uh, out of the blue, which I thought was cool because, you know, Flair sometimes will get in his routine, and it's a really good routine and a successful routine, but, like, I like when he would do different things and and surprise me.
0: Yeah, yeah. So so they win the first fall. They're about to win the second fall. Uh, Barry Windham comes in, jumps off the top rope, uh, DQ, and so Flair and Arn don't win the titles, but it kicks off Flair versus Barry Windham. So some issues with with uh, you know not, not necessarily with the match because, like I said, the match was good, but the rating comes back and it's a really bad rating. It's the single worst Clash of the Champions rating of all time. Now there's been a lot of history around this match because who takes the blame for this? Uh, should it have been Rick? Should it have been the uh, the Hollywood Blondes? I sort of feel like WCW is just as cold as ice right now, and it was probably you know maybe nothing was going was going to do a great rating here. Like like what do you think about that whole thing? Because obviously the Blondes are the ones who are going to get blamed for it, and uh, and there's a little bit of a political thing to this because they were the reason why they're holding Ric Flair back from wrestling so that they could pop this rating
1: also we get 1993 wrestling so cold in general not just wcw right so i think it's just it's just it sucks that the they had to put the blame on someone and they put the blame on the blondes and rick in a way so it's an unfortunate event because it, it just ruined a lot of stuff and and Made them change directions, and they should have kept going with it. They should have kept going with it was a good, entertaining program. That was, I mean, look at that crowd; they were eating it up. But you know, I think they could have done better in a rematch and keep building it, building it up.
0: So, in a little bit of like a history note here, while this was billed as Flair's first match back, he actually had a match um, a couple of a couple of days earlier at a TV taping. Uh, Arn and Paul and Rick against the Blondes and Barry Windham, and then in the next mm-hmm. night, uh, they I think they had a match as well. So that's so that's really his first match, but it airs on TV after the Clash. So technically, on TV, Clash is his uh, is his first match. So what's interesting is, and I didn't even realize this when I you know just sort of remembering the match. But Flair doesn't come out to his music in this match. Did you remember this? No, I don't remember that. So, now we watching, so is yeah. it the uh, WWF version or something like that? Or it was, uh, no, so I I think they come out to Arn's music, whatever music Arn was using. The Horseman like, music, probably. Yeah, right? the Horseman music. So that that's the music yeah. they come out to, not Flair's. Flair's uh, that's right.
1: That's right. Yeah, the Horseman. They w- and they would come out to that. A few times when they would team up in nineteen ninety when they feed with Doom, so technically not unusual, I guess. But yeah, you would think Flair would get this big entrance, right? Arn come out first and you had the big entrance from Rick, right? That's how they should do it. How they should have done it.
0: Yeah, that I mean I I assumed like I, I that, that seems easy to me. Like, doesn't it seem easy to you like when you bring Rick back for his first match? Definitely.
1: And also I mean, I don't know if I would have done uh, the tag match with the Blondes first. You know, I would have done maybe the the big match with Barry first, honestly. That's why I think they should have gone with.
0: So, uh, so... The first Flair Invader match actually happens not too long after this at a house show in Charlotte. And the house is up, but... Still sort of considered a disappointment just because wrestling's so cold. Um, and the consensus early on in like the, the early part of Flair's return is that it doesn't mean a ton of business, but at least the fans that are there are really, really happy. So, Fla- <laughs> you know, Flair's obviously the, the most over guy. So <laughs> this is really funny because, I mean, I, I remember this happening, but I, I didn't actually remember what the time frame was. But right around this time, WCW has that one TV taping where they tape like three months of TV in advance and they show all the belts change. Yeah,
1: yeah. And they would continue to do this for the next couple of years.
0: So basically, if you if you're at this TV taping, Flair comes out with the NWA title, which shows that he's going to beat Barry for it. And then... Rude has the NWA title at some point. So that shows that he's going to beat Flair for it. Mm -hmm. And obviously for the insiders, that news is going to get out. Dave had it. I'm sure other newsletters had it. So basically your hardest of hardcore audience knows your plans through almost the rest of the year. Yeah, and
1: Bischoff wasn't worried about that. Bischoff was worried about the bottom line and saving money. So they would do a lot more lot more TV tapings in the can so they wouldn't have to you know use the production and and you know multiple times a year they can just kind of shorten up how many times they use a year by filming like months of, of TV which caused so many issues I mean you think about oh, was that 1995 when I think Harlem Heat won the tag titles but they already lost them before they even won them <laughs> and this is during the whole like Harlem Heat Bunkhouse Buck Dick Slater Nasty Boys like scenario like 95 and it was just such a confusing thing and I used to be really big into title title runs and title history and uh, the lengths of championships and I remember like I think you know I always like get the, the PWI and end of the year they would show like the show like the show like the title changes and it was just like fake results because they got to make sense of it right because it's still kind of like the kayfabe magazine back then yes. but it's not the, it's the, but then again it's not the first time they has done that they've done this in 1991 where the steiners beat the free birds for the tag titles before the free birds beat doom for the tag titles at WrestleWar war 91 so Yep. Stupid stuff, stupid stuff, confusing stuff, and I don't know why you would do that to your audience. I, don't, I, don't, I just don't get it.
0: So Beach beach Blast happens. Flair beats Wyndham. Wyndham is hurt at this point. Big time. Um, so they only do an 11 minute match, um, sort of average match but you know less less of an average match considering that flair and Wyndham have had some really really good matches major letdown including the one that we just talked about uh at the battle of the belts so people major. people going into this you know into this match are thinking like we're gonna get a classic and barry's mm-hmm. barry's hurt so there's a problem there and rick wins but it's not kind of that classic match that they want no no it was
1: on it was you know, coming, you know, I know me knowing the history of Flair and Wyndham and seeing a lot of their great matches, I was really pumped. I couldn't wait for this match to happen, and it, and the finish was funky. It was exactly how it was supposed to happen, supposedly. But you know, Flair locks on the figure four, Wyndham's reaching to get the ropes to break the figure four, but then he get he doesn't realize his shoulders are down. Ref counts three, and he's like shocked that he, you know, got pinned. It just was such a flat finish that made no damn sense no damn sense at all I mean it makes sense logically yes you know it's a like guy can make that 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 mental error but like you don't want that for a, this kind of match you know this this you don't do this for a pay-per-view match you know but Flair blew, I mean I am sorry blew out his knee and before this match so he was uh, hurting and this was his last match until he returns in Slavery 94 when he comes back really overweight and him and him and Flair have another disappointing match and it just it's really bummed me out about Wyndham hurting his knee because he was on fire man he really found this character that was really working for him at the lone wolf Barry Wyndham and like he just felt like everything was coming together for him and and then all of a sudden bam injury takes him out
0: so um the so what's what's actually kind of interesting about this time frame right is uh how how old is rick here rick is in his probably in his early 40s mm-hmm. so thinking about that right like you have you He's have this
1: 43 i believe because yep. in 1990 he turned 40 so yeah
0: so rick is at a at an age where He's not a super young guy anymore, but he's still got the name. He still looks the same. But there's this weird thing where a lot of the younger wrestlers coming up in both companies are kind of taking shots at him. Uh, Shane Douglas starts taking shots at Rick in in the media, in the wrestling media. And then on the other side, uh, n- not exactly at this time, but but soon and previous is uh, Bret Hart basically taking shots at Rick. So it's like it's almost like you have like these these younger guys who are like, get out of the way, old man. Like we, we, we you know, we're coming. And that's kind of the storyline that the Hollywood Blondes were, mm-hmm. were playing here. Uh, so, int- you know, it's kind of a, an interesting time for Rick. Like he, like he obviously he's not done done. Like he, he's still going to have. You know, a, a several more years of, of actually, uh, you know, wrestling, but he's not really, really, really going to be on top that much longer. And uh, it's almost like the clock is ticking, and this is kind of the year that uh, that shows a little bit of that wear and tread.
1: Yeah, because you know, he ends up, you know, well, we'll talk about later during the Vader Flair match, he ended up getting some some momentum in 94 and then once hogan shows up then he'd be definitely drops down the ladder
0: yeah so in um they uh Flair and sting actually pop a, a really good rating on uh wcw saturday night they have a long match and sting is counted out because of interference um and then and then this match is taped uh and it airs right before the Clash Champions match, which I always thought was a weird one. Flair and Sting versus the Awesome Kong. Was it wait, what was it? Colossal Kongs. Colossal Kongs.
1: But it actually aired after though. It actually
0: airs the Saturday after
1: that. Oh, so this clash.
0: match this match is after the clash.
1: Yes, because during the Clash, which I believe is on a Wednesday, they um, they announced that they're having a match. On WWE Saturday, so they're actually promoting this match within that crazy squash match with the Colossal Kongs, and uh, and I remember being excited for that because you know Flair, Flair, Sting, right? You know, it's def-
0: and they had a great match. It was really good. They went like I think over thirty minutes. Yeah, it was like forty minutes. Wow. So who do you even know who the Kongs were? Um, I don't remember their real names, but one was Awesome Kong,
1: which he. You know, was in te- out of the Texas area. They're both right out of the Texas area. They're just really big, heavy set guys. Um, they did stuff with Global. Um, I, I liked them as a kid. <laughs> I liked the big guys, and I, lo- I thought they looked cool. And and uh, one was, I think Austin Kong did, did like a tour of Ultra Pan too, at one point. He was a little lighter back then. Scott, but, uh, Scott
0: Thompson and Dwayne McCullough were their names. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, they didn't last too long. I
1: think they lasted like six months in WCW. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I dig them. I, I didn't think they were used correctly. Um, they were managed by uh, Harley Race, which I I didn't like the fact that Harley was managing someone else. I kind of like that he was only exclusively the Vader, and all of a sudden they put him with the Kong. It was just... I don't know. It took a little away from Vader, I thought, but but uh, they're a good team. They just, they just they just weren't used to their full potential.
0: So if you if you are um if you are a fan who lived in Fayetteville in July, you got a classic old school Flair steamboat house show match that just was a random match that they put together. Uh, and so Flair uh, Flair for the gold. Uh, comes back and they do the classic, or infamous, Shockmaster segment when they're introducing the <laughs> War Games teams. So, uh, so, so, so that that's you know, if you're wondering like where did that happen, that happened on Flare for the Gold.
1: And you know what though, let's give Flair for the Gold some credit. Ray Flair's talk show lasts a lot longer than Chevy Chase's talk show,
0: and. <laughs> And magic. magic Johnson magic, magic Johnson Hour. Yeah, that. <laughs> that's awesome uh Chevy I, I still remember the jingle to Chevy Chase dude, dude, that's that's kind of ridiculous
1: I just remember being like totally bummed out for Chevy Chase when people started crapping on when, when his stock show was was bombing I think it was on Fox right so
0: so so the Jing so the jingle goes Chevy Chase, a heck of a guy He <laughs> makes you laugh And he makes you cry Like That's the jingle for the show <laughs> Oh man, we gotta have our own podcast on the Chevy Chase show a, <laughs> All the episodes a, Let's continue on Rick Flair <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so um, So Flair, Flair for the Gold segment Sets up a match with Rick Rude Basically the feud between He and Rick Rude is over Fifi because like rick thinks that you know he could get all the women and Flair's like no 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 nah, nah. like she's not she's not into you bro. <laughs> and so that's basically how the feud begins and um you know it's over it's over if Rick could get Fifi or not. So also around this time because uh you know Flair is the NWA champion. And there's this drama surrounding the NWA name. WCW didn't go through the proper channels to change the belt. And so the title basically is held up for uh, for a while. And I think eventually even gets changed to what WCW international title.
1: That's the, what the, it was the last name. But the after the NWA championship became the big gold belt, that was their first name for it. And then it became WWE International Championship, and God, God darn Bill Watts for bringing his belt back. You know, <laughs> like it's just so confusing. And I, I understand he thought there was still some value in in the in those three three letters, the NWA. But, but like, I really wish he would figure it out to unify the championships before before. I mean, what was his plan? Because he he you know he had plenty of opportunity to do it, but you know, New Japan was involved, and they got a long run out of Chono, and then they used the Muda, and then Muda, of course, dropped at to Barry. It's just so frustrating. I wish they would have just unified the titles faster. Then they finally unified them in June nineteen eighty four, which is, which is crazy.
0: And so, uh, so basically, we're we're leading to Rick versus uh, Rick, Rick Rude versus Flair at Fall Brawl. And uh here here's here's the here's the quote from from Dave Meltzer's uh, review of that match. Flair had never been in a match this bad on a pay-per-view except for one match with Sting where he played Black Scorpion. <laughs> you know, Rude is also not 100% around this time. Um he's you know sort of dinged up. Uh and You know, they don't really have a good match, but they're leading to another match uh, pretty soon uh, at Halloween Havoc. So even if, you know, even even though the kind of the bloom was off the rose at this point, I would say with Rick, because he's not having, you know, he's not having great matches uh, and he loses the belt to to Ravishing Rick. I, I sort of feel like. This is now officially a botched return for the Nature Boy, Ric Flair.
1: Yeah, it was botched from, you know, early on. Definitely. Definitely was botched. Like you said, like, earlier in this this podcast, you said, like, WCW was given a layup. An easy layup, but no one in their way. And they end up screwing this up. and, And Flair, you know, Flair suffered a lot until he... Things fell on his lap And he was able to kind of redeem himself At the end of the year
0: So Rude is uh, I think Rude's got like a pulled muscle So for those uh, in the area Of these house shows Got to see a little bit of Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff and Ric Flair In, in some one-on-one matches At house shows
1: Yeah, but those are pretty
0: good uh, So uh, they, they have another match at Halloween Havoc and Rude retains by disqualification, better match, but again, the finishes have also just been really terrible, like you said. And it's not helping, uh, and, and uh, you know, there's kind of a little bit of a lull. So, who do they turn to? You know, uh, and we should say, you know, Vader's having some really good matches with Cactus Jack, Davey Boy Smith. Like, there's some, like, this time frame, while... You know, business is way down Like, Vader and, and Cactus Jack were, like, doing some amazing stuff Which probably shortened their careers uh, as well But Vader's, you know, Vader's wrestling these matches and, and and it's sort of like, okay, you know, who's next? Who's next? And so who does that, who do they turn to? The gigantic Sid Vicious, right? Like, he's, the, he, he's gonna be the guy So, the plan is for Vicious to actually beat Vader at Starcade. And then he was going to beat Rude for the NWA title or for the WCW International title, and he was going to unify the belts. Like that was the plan for Sid Vicious in his comeback to WCW after leaving WWF. As we know, because we understand the history of of one Sid Vicious, it doesn't it doesn't happen that way. And the, really the 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 whole reason is because he and Arn get into a uh, a really bad fight where they're using scissors they're opening each other up uh they're they're uh you know Vader has to come in and save vicious and he's gotta stick his thumb and like the the wound like to stop the bleeding like this was a legit bad fight like like it's almost like um it's really the black eye on the entire time for wCW you're about to you're about to 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 put the business on the back of who you think is going to be the top guy and you can't because he gets in a fight with another guy and both of them you, you gotta get rid of both of them at least for the time being like it was it's like such a ridiculous thing if you look back on it
1: yeah it was such a scandal too and, and, and people couldn't avoid the news I mean it was in I mean, even like a kayfabe magazine like WCW I mean uh, Pro Wrestling still had to cover it too and and it did change everything and Sid was being a drunk idiot and Arn had a few to himself and you know Sid just popping off saying how you know these old guys need to step aside like Flair and Arn that you know they're the ones that should be drawing the money, and they should be the ones on top. Blah 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 blah, and just just got out of hand, and got out of hand beyond what people ever expected, and 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 they had to really change things around. But they already taped stuff; they taped a lot of stuff, yeah, as they were doing, and and with Sid coming out on these tapings with the WW World Championship,
0: and so. Um... You know, like we said, they got to change plans. So here's how they do. Here's how they actually change the plans. And this is actually a pretty interesting thing, because like you said, they're they're taping so much TV in advance that it makes it really hard. So I will try to break this down uh, in in a in a simplistic way. So they're leading into Clash of Champions. Sid is a heel. He's managed by Colonel Rob Parker. And he has a match with Rick for the number one contender spot. And Sid loses that match by DQ. And essentially, he's about to chokeslam Rob Parker when they go off the air, turning himself babyface. So Flair versus Vader, main event at The Clash, uh, does another sort of bad rating. And explain the finish of this match because it is so ludicrous in the way that they did it, but so WCW at the time.
1: So, yeah, definitely, definitely, yeah. So WCW finish. Um, what happened is typical ref bump. You know, Vader goes to clothesline Flair, flare darts out of the way, and hits PB Anderson. And why this constitutes a disqualification, I don't understand, because things happen. You know, when the pitcher... Throws a ball and the catcher doesn't catch it and it's the umpire nuts. Is it the pitcher's fault? You know, so you get kicked out of the game. You know what I mean? it's just, I just, I never understood that why uh, a wrestler should be disqualified for this. Like this is where the second referee comes down, checks on the referee, maybe you know, takes over for the match. While well, the other referees we help the back. But anyway, so there's there's a you know, the referee's down. Flair goes for the cover. And the referee crawls over to Flair and Vader, but as he's crawling, he's making the motion like he's counting one, two, three, <laughs> and he hits three, and the crowd pops pretty big because they, oh wow, we just saw Flair regain the chi- championship and beat Vader, but of course it's just a typical quote-unquote dusty screw job and he's, uh, you know, Vader's disqualified, but retains the title, and it's just a. A wacky finish that was really was a bad taste in my mouth. when I was a kid and I rewatched it recently, and it still just I just shake my head watching it. Uh, it was horrible, and that's what. And and that let's talk about tail two matches. Like I watched that match and the Starkey match back to uh-huh. back, and like Vader is just eating eating Flair's lunch in the class match. And then, uh, in the of course, in the in the Starkey match, she's definitely a little more competitive. Mm-hmm. It's,
0: just, mm-hmm. it's
1: just funny because at the time they don't want Flair to look strong. They want they want uh, they want Vader to be a monster here in, in, in the clash. And then when they had to change the narrative around and with Flair chasing the title, they you know, definitely it was a more competitive match.
0: Okay, so here's the setup. Now this is what they wanted to do. This is interesting, in hindsight. And it was probably very interesting at the time So they're doing a match With Rick and Sid On WCW Saturday night Against Austin and Big Van Vader So Rather than have Sid be in the match They take him out of the match Via the uh, Colossal Kongs, who who we mentioned earlier And so they take Sid out of the match Arn replaces him and they have a long match. And in the taped version of this match, the original taped version, Sid basically comes back to save the day for the babyfaces, right? Sid is the the hero of this moment, which is going to set up his match with Big Van Vader at Starcade So because they they did this, and then after the fact, he, he has his issue with R, and so it's already in the can, what they do... Is they don't show the Sid part. Basically, the match... uh, The match is over. And I think it's a disqualification win for the Babyfaces. But the heels are double-teaming Rick. And so... uh, And so they go... They basically go off the air saying... We will tell you the finish. Or we'll tell you what happens tomorrow night on the Sunday show. And they don't say anything on the Sunday show. (laughs) So, it's because... They they're changing what the narrative was going to be, and basically they have erased Sid Vicious's uh, comeback out of this uh, out of this uh, angle because they're moving on. Like Sid's not going to be a part of it, so they don't show it on TV. So anybody who was at those TV tapings, uh, they you know they got quite a different uh, result of of where they thought things were going at this time.
1: Yeah, and that tag match is actually really good. good. It's a wild brawl with Arn and Flair and Vader and Austin. and they just basically go off the air and leave you hanging and and there's and then they don't yeah, they're right, they don't follow up on on the on the main event the next the next day. So And now we're on to Flair putting his career on online against Vader.
0: So what I didn't even realize and either I have no memory of this show at all, like for whatever reason There's a Battle Bowl pay-per-view. Oh, yes. November 20th, 1993. And, like, I'm reading the results of this thing going, like, I have no clear memory. Uh, Flair and Steve Austin are a tag team in this match, or on the show, as part of the Battle Bowl uh, tournament matches. And uh, it comes down to, I think the final three are Flair, Austin, and, no, final four, Flair, Austin, Vader, and Sting. And uh, basically, Vader takes Flair out uh, by hitting him uh, with, I think, big splashes him on the apron or something like that. Yeah, the, um,
1: you know, Harley Race is being a pest, the Battle Bowl. Finally, Flair has enough, goes under the bottom rope, goes up the apron. They, him and Harley Race start going in. Harley Race goes for the big suplex. Flare reverses it. But as Flair reverses it and he hits the move, Harley holds on. You know, Flair and and in comes Vader with a big elbow drop between his legs, Flair's legs and crushes him and then gives him multiple big splashes. And he's and he's uh, he not he's eliminated by injury, not by going over the top rope.
0: And and so that sets sets the stage for the Stargate match. Like you said, Flair puts his, his career on the line Vader's titles on the line, and this is how you set up Starcade 1993. Now, a question that was out there on our uh, our face our Facebook group page was: if Flair and Vader was kind of made at the last minute, what was Flair originally going mm-hmm. to do on that show? And do you remember what he was going to do?
1: He was going to team with Sting as the nasty boys for the tag team championship.
0: So I so I have it as Flair and Steamboat. Oh, it could have been yeah. I know Sting ended up teaming with what Hawk, oh, I think right. Hawk. Yeah, 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 Hawk. Yeah. yeah.
1: Hawk. yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah, so no, either way, yeah, I was, yeah, you're right. So the, yeah, I know I know Flair was going to challenge the Nasty Boys with Tag Team. Yeah,
0: because the Nasty Boys were basically doing the same thing. Colin Flair and Steamboat Old, and like that was their that was their thing to get that to get that match. So imagine. This, you know, we, we already talked about them kind of screwing the pooch here with with Flair's comeback. On the biggest show of the year, he's going to be in a random tag team match.
1: I know. I know. I think in their mind, I think, hey, it's a dream match. Flair and Steamboat together as a tag team. But no, it's not. I mean, it's great. It is a cool thing, but definitely not for. It's a good Clash of Champions match, but not a Star King match.
0: Okay, so Starcade 93, the card in of itself pretty much sucks. It is the definition of a one-match show. And they make this one match feel like the single most important match in the history of the dang company. That's how good of a job they do with this build.
1: Yeah, they do. I mean, even the build before, like the weeks leading up, the interviews with Flair's friends and some high-profile people like Charles Barkley and a few others. Remember that they're they're giving their thoughts on Flair and his you know upcoming match with Vader and if he can do it and yada uh, yada.
0: You know, it's so funny because you know, as of this recording, uh, Flair just had his seventieth birthday. And who was at Flair's 70th birthday, but none other than Sir Charles, Charles Barkley?
1: Do you think Charles Barkley was talking to him about how how much the Warriors are not that great?
0: Jump-shooting teams can't win championships, Rick. So the the match, or I'm sorry, the show... like there there is a rhythm to this show, which is okay, we're having these wrestling matches during this show, but also, we're gonna keep reminding you about the main event. So the show opens with uh, Vader, uh, they show Vader driving to the arena, and then they go to Rick's house and basically he's like, hanging out with Ashley and Reed and his wife and uh and uh David is there and it's like it kind of reminds me of um of like a rocky movie like mm-hmm. this is like Rocky 3 like you know he's gotta he's gotta overcome this this gigantic bad guy who scares him to death and it's so serious and he's gotta get his eye at the tiger back like it's it's such a good thing it's such a good piece of uh, business that they're doing here. And so Mean Gene, who's just who just left WWF, is kind of steering the ship on this whole thing. You know, it, it's it's almost like um, it's, it's not a normal sort of Mean Gene segment where he you know, he's at an interview de- or he's at the interview stand and he's like going back and forth and he's cracking jokes like, he's narrating what's going on while Rick is, like, talking to his family. He hugs Ashley, he hugs Reed, kisses his wife. They're walking to the limo, and Mean Gene's, like, you know, this feels like a big deal, like, you know, how do you feel? And Rick's really serious, and they get into the limo, and and Mean Gene is asking him, like, serious questions, like, you know is this going to be it like are you worried Like just it, it's so well done From like a serious Perspective It feels like This is like a real deal
1: Yeah no, it was I mean they like WCW really You know for all the flack that we give Them about the long TV tapings And the t tapings that they t- Put in the can in advance and having to change And all the wackiness Like at least for this one event they really made it feel like a, a, a special championship match. And like how cool is this, if they could just edit all that, take everything else out, but these segments with flair and Vader leading up to the main event and just showing that main event, it'd be almost like a UFC tw- uh, embedded episode leading into the fight. Right. And, uh, I think, I think that would be amazing if someone could just edit these down and just take everything out. <laughs> but the, uh, you know, all the other matches out just did like that. It'd be kind of interesting to see. I remember I remember, I remember, liking it as a kid. I remember feeling like, man, is Flair really going to retire? Like, I, I, it caused... It, it gave me some doubt because, uh, you know, v- big man Vader or Vader at the time now, um, he was a monster and, and definitely someone you thought was just unstoppable. And, I just, and it was kind of hard for me to take Flair, like... I didn't think Flair had a chance against him because he was such a massive guy,
0: you know? And so it's funny that you... We're thinking about that because, for folks who are paying attention very closely, WCW actually spoils the finish of this match. In their advertisements for the Super Bowl show, because they're advertising Flair as champion versus Van Vader in the Thunderdome match. So, so if you're really <laughs> taking this thing seriously, uh, you could have been spoiled uh, with the finish because of uh, the advertisements that they were showing. So that that would have that would have sucked, man. Yeah, luckily I was I was not spoiled,
1: and I did not know that. But um, I, mean, I mean, I like. I was, you know, 1993. I was just like, what, a freshman in high school, a little smarter about wrestling. Can always can tell the the uh, the outcome by just how they're presenting the story. But at the time, though, Vader is someone I believed was pretty unstoppable, and and I just couldn't envision how Flair could beat him, other than Vader hurting his knees. And Flair somehow getting the figure four or something like that. But I, cause I used to think about scenarios all the time, about finishes and how the match is going to go mm-hmm. for like every match on the card. And I remember Flair, like I could, I could imagine like, I don't think he can put him in the figure four that long. And this, you know what I mean? Like, I, you know, I was trying to think the logical way to do this back then. And I just figured that he was going to just, destroy flair and end up retaining and because i always felt like sting was the guy that's going to be you know the hero of wcw at the time and 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 save the day and be the one that finally vanquished Vader eventually
0: okay so we get to the match and it's funny that you you had mentioned the clash match because i'm watching this match and i'm going like okay vader should be beating Rick from pillar to post. Rick should get a couple of hope spots in. And then all of a sudden at the end, you know, he's got to find a way to do it. And they did do it that way. But in even, even within the hope spots, it's almost like Vader would then quickly get the better of Rick. And so the hope spots weren't even all that long. And um, yeah. And, and so, and so, as we get to the finish, or and, and obviously Harley races involved heavily. So it's like Rick is is going up against you know two people, not just one. But Harley is gonna somewhat, somewhat be the demise of, of, of Vader. Uh, and you know he comes off the top rope with the headbutt. Flair moves out of the way. He hits Vader. That's not that doesn't really lead lead to the finish. But um, you know Rick gets a figure four in. But there's not a whole lot of like. If I'm because, you know, sort of what you said, which is I don't really know how Rick could beat this guy because he's he's like more destructive than just about anybody else that we'd ever seen at that point. And so how does Rick do it? And then there's a point in the match where it looks like, you know, Rick sort of at, at his last chance. Vader hits a body block and you're like, oh, shit. Well, you know, that was Rick's last chance. He's done. And then his knee goes out, and as his knee goes out, Rick, who's thinking on the spot, you know, obviously, you know, as if this were real, he's like, "Oh, here's my chance," mm-hmm. and he and and he comes from behind Vader, um, and then and then rolls him up to, to actually it to like, win. It was like a chop block into the yeah. roll right. Yeah, yeah, he yeah. he 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 bangs the the hurt knee and then rolls him up.
1: Yeah, but it's like. Vader's so massive that you're like, how's he not kicking out? Like, Flair's not even over his shoulders to make the cover with this, you know? I thought that was, it was a little funky, but they're lucky they're in Charlotte at the Reunion Arena. That crowd is super hot for their hometown boy, Flair, and they pop pretty, really big for that title change.
0: So I completely agree with you. I thought the pin fall in of itself... Was a little bit, a uh, little bit, you know, it, it wasn't enough to to be able to pin that guy, considering all the monsters that he had gone through. But because it was Rick, it was okay, and uh, you know, Rick treated it like I need to get my ass out of here because I just escaped with, by the skin of my teeth, and and uh, and yeah, so. You know, for that moment, then they have you know the family in the back with him, you know, and Gene again, and and how it, it's so it's so funny because Rick at, at one point goes, "I'm here with one of my best friends, Mean Gene Okerlund," and like <laughs> unless you like knew right, unless you knew the history, you were like, "Huh? Like how, how do they know each other? This is Hogan's guy, right?" It was kind of funny about that.
1: Yeah, that was pretty that was pretty funny, but I I like the. I liked how they had enough time for this segment on the pay per view where people are come and congratulating Ric Flair and stuff. I thought that was pretty cool.
0: Yeah. So, uh, what would if you were to if you were I would imagine if you were looking at it with 1993 eyes, you know, your 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 star rating or whatever would be a little bit higher. But even then, I still thought this was a pretty good match for the story that they were telling. Yeah, I
1: had it about. Like a four-star match. Now, when we watched it, and uh, you know, I kept thinking about this funny because I kept thinking about finishes and how I would do it, and I I, I would definitely do something with the knees because the guy's so big, and I definitely would have built up to the big moonsault where he misses, and that's where he really injures me. And I think what should have happened is not not the Yokozuna Bret Hart finish from WrestleMania ten, but like you know flair's trying to get in the figure four he can't you know still not submitting him he goes to the top vader cuts him off goes for the big superplex but his knee gives out and flair lands on top of him you know and and gets the pin i think that would probably have been would have made some sense you know like the big blow from the impact of falling off the top rope and the flair landing on him could you know definitely get the pin that's just something i was thinking about when i was watching this match the other day but uh i got about four star matches it was, it was uh you know the you know, uh, matches. The, the crowd enhances a match, right? Mm-hmm. I I always laugh at people, "Oh, that match was four stars." And like, yeah, it's because you think a great match is a bunch of moves, but the crowd's not reacting doesn't mean it's a great match. Yeah. Um, but here, you know, the crowd is so emotionally in, invested in this match. It was just, just they enhanced everything. Everything, airtime every flares on the offense, they would just explode. It's kind of like when we went saw. So, Manny Pacquiao and Adrian Broner, like even though, <laughs> though uh, Pacquiao is throwing punches but not necessarily connecting, people, just seeing him on the offense, people are just excited and, and exploding, you know.
0: Yeah, so this is a, a nice little capper to Flair's return to WCW. Uh, you know, they they sort of they save they were able to save it because of you know circumstances that happened and uh and Flair kind of goes out in 93 on top and like you said uh you know they're, <laughs> the plans change in 94 and it's it becomes all about Hogan and uh, Fla- Flair seemingly is kind of part of that deal right like he's the one who actually helps Bischoff uh reach out to Hogan
1: and Yeah and Flair wants it cuz he knows that he's in for uh a big time play payday. And yep. honestly, I, you know, if you look back in history, WCW promoted Flair versus Hogan better than WWF for Flair versus Hogan, which is kind of funny looking back, you know, considering WCW was involved. It's just, you know, you, they, you know, they actually, I think they did a better job at, it at the time. Absolutely. And, and a lot of people don't remember this too, like following Starcade, WCW creatively, I don't know about business wise, was pretty damn good in 1994 early 94 i am talking about they had a little more harder edge um they went with a little more violence kind of like with the ecw stuff with cactus and the nasty boys um you had flair continuing stuff with vader you had flair and steamboat not necessarily capturing the magic from like 1989 but like they still had some really good quality matches um st- spring stand pre-match i thought was a little disappointing but they end up um, doing a better match on tv for the quote-unquote held up title um and even the first leading into july of uh the grand- the bash of the beach was hogan and flair i thought all that stuff was was, was pretty good and then it got The Hogan Show soon after that. <laughs> and things started getting kind of like frustrating for me as a fan, seeing. The Butcher. Uh, the Butcher, The Avalanche, um, the sh- um, who else? i Jim seen Jim Duggan oh, yeah. beating Steve Austin in 20 seconds. <laughs> Just really like. Honky Tonk, man. Just really pissed me off. Actually, I like the Honky Dog Honk, Man, so I was actually pretty excited when he was showing up. But he didn't really have a good time at WCW. <laughs> he was gone as quickly as he came in. Uh, but uh, but they, you know, but also there was a rise of Johnny uh, badd Bad as a more of a um, what was it more of a uh, more of a instead of being like a comedy kind of guy, or you know, now he became more of a serious. You know, with with the TV title stuff with Dallas Page, and they were going out there having good matches. So '94 was was you know a pretty underrated year for WCW, I thought. And but but people were do, they did and business did picked up, even though we complain about Hogan and Hogan's friends and bitch about that. But like you, you can't deny that Hogan brought the business up when he showed up
0: in WCW. So do you have any thoughts on where we go next with uh, We Want Flair?
1: I don't know. I got to look into what match we should do now. Um, maybe, uh, and hopefully maybe the fans in our uh, fight game blog, uh, fight game podcast group on Facebook could uh, Maybe we'll put like a, uh, a post out there and say, Hey, what, what match you'd like us to review and see what, and maybe if we get a couple of hits on a certain match, we should do it.
0: You know what they're going to say though. They're going to say the 89 stuff with either funk or steamboat. That's what they're going to say. True, I know. We've been trying to find the.
1: (laughs) I kind of want to do this. The the um, it's totally not obscure because it happened on the Clash, but like you know, I don't think people remember it as much. But man, I still I still always watch Flair and Sting versus Muda and Dick Slater from class of Champions eight.
0: I love that time frame
1: too, and um, there's a lot to talk about because the angle at Terry Funk ends pretty controversial um the whole 89 is just a a fun time to talk about especially that time in the fall and i'm like eyes wide of my fandom when it comes to this stuff so oh yeah i just remember that match being just so like just that that crowd that college i forget what what town they were in but that college crowd was just like they're just out there getting drunk and having fun the whole show and being loud and crazy which just added to that match and that match is pretty damn good
0: so for uh, for John, I'm Double G. We'll see you when we see you. Peace out.